Welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today as we continue on in our Sermon on the Mount series. We're coming to a climax as we finish the last of the Beatitudes today. It's our eighth Beatitude, and as Sinclair Ferguson stated, it seems to be an anti-climax because it's taken us back to where we started, the promise of the kingdom of God, and we're told that we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Our verses today are in Matthew chapter 5. We're working on verses 10 through 12, and let me read them to you again. I'm reading from the ESV. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are hard words to hear. One Puritan commentator stated that he believes one reason Christ repeated himself in this last beatitude was because the statement was so incredible. It seems like upside-down thinking. Those who are poor in spirit, who mourn over their sin, who are meek, who are pure in heart— who are seeking peace between God and man. Truly, you would think the end result wouldn't be persecution, but a world that would be embracing them and loving them. But Jesus is telling us, we're going to be persecuted for doing what's right. We know the kingdom of this world is in rebellion against the kingdom of God. The darkness hates the light. We don't have to look far. Just turn on the news for two minutes. The gospel is offensive. We, too, were once God's enemy, but now as those who have realized they were sinners against a holy God, those who have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, we are now no longer God's enemy, but his children, and we are at peace with God. So now as peacemakers, we desire to share the gospel of peace with those outside the kingdom. Sharing the gospel with those outside the kingdom will probably not make us too many friends. We may lose family and friends, and we may experience various types of persecution. Probably not death, but we'll see what this might look like as we work through this last beatitude today. A true Christian will suffer persecution in one form or another. In John 15, 18, Jesus tells us, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So I think here, John MacArthur always starts his sermons on these particular ones. Things are like, happy are the persecuted. So let's dig in and start with happy are the persecuted. So joy in trials was evident in the lives of the apostles. When Peter and the other apostles were flogged before the Sanhedrin, it tells us in Acts 5.41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. If you've read Tortured for Christ, the story of the Romanian pastor Richard Warmbrand, you know that although he was tortured mercilessly, he experienced joy. Samuel Rutherford is a Scottish pastor, and he wrote from his prison, he said, I never knew by my nine years of preaching 
so much of Christ's love as he taught me in Aberdeen by six months of imprisonment. So these stories of persecution don't state that those being persecuted enjoyed it. And R. Ken Hughes stated on this particularly, he said, we must also understand that persecution itself is neither blessed or joyous. However, there is a kind of persecution that has God's blessings and results in joy. So let's dig in. Again, if you have your Bible handy, we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 today. I'm reading from the ESV. Always any verses, anything I put in quotes, verse, um, scripture references will be in the show notes. So if you're not at a place to sit down, you can always go back and take a peek again if there was something that stood out to you. So I'm going to start here today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word persecuted in Matthew 5.10 means to follow or press hard after. It literally means to pursue as one does a fleeing enemy. So it means to chase or harass and pressure and was used for chasing down criminals. Persecuted is in the passive voice here, which means that believers as the subject of the verb will receive the persecution from an external source. Jesus tells us, And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Those of us in the kingdom are going to expose the evil nature of their deeds. This is not going to bring favor towards us when we speak out against sin in the lives of others. When you bring them into the light of the gospel and expose that they are not good and that they are sinners and that they deserve hell, it's not going to be favorable with all men. It wasn't favorable for me before I was in Christ to hear those words. Our persecution can involve physical harm, and I'm just guessing, but probably here in America, and I'm just making this statement from my own thoughts, probably not many of us will necessarily experience physical harm. We may, but but if we are taking a stand for truth, we will be persecuted with attacks by words or slander, or be hated, or cast out by others, and it can involve physical harm. And if you just think about this, if you just state to others that there's only one God, that there's only one way to heaven, and and that is through Jesus Christ, it's not going to gain you favor with very many people. So think about things when we take a stand against the evils that our society normalizes, Issues that are against what God's word says, things like abortion or gay marriage, or taking a stand and saying there's only one race and denouncing the unbiblical stance of those who promote critical race theory, even taking a stand against those in the church in this situation who are rejecting what the Bible says about racism and justice, we're going to be persecuted. And again, not necessarily physically, but in other ways. And then how we were just talking, sometimes persecution comes from within the church itself. Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks to the persecution of genuine believers by others in the church, noting, he said, how they are persecuted by nominal religious people. That was also the story of the Puritan fathers. This is the teaching of the Bible, and it has been substantiated by the history of the church that the persecution may come, not from the outside, but from within. There are our ideas of Christianity far removed from the New Testament, which are held by many, and which cause them to persecute those who are trying in sincerity and truth to follow the Lord Jesus Christ along the narrow way. 
You may well find it in your own personal experience. And he continues, he said, I've often been told by converts that they get much more opposition from supposedly, quote there, I'm going to put supposedly Christian people than they do from the man of the world outside, who is often glad to see them changed and wants to know something about it. Formal Christianity is often the greatest enemy of the pure faith, end quote there. My husband and I have had conversations many times, and we talked about that the kingdom road is narrower than we realize. When we're loyal to Christ, it's going to cause a rise up in those who are not loyal to Christ. Sinclair Ferguson stated, Loyalty arouses their consciences and leaves them with only two alternatives, follow Christ or silence him. When I think of our everyday lives, I think how this stands out in places of work, where you're an employee with integrity and you don't steal anything. You don't cheat your employer of time or speak poorly of others or fall into gossip or slander. If you are living a life of righteousness, if you are desiring to be Christ-like, you may lose your job. You may not get that promotion. You may have family who rejects you or friends who walk away. You will not find yourself persecuted if you have the same values and beliefs and perspectives of the world. If you've made peace with the world and you find yourself fitting in, I'd like to call you to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 reminds us important truths here. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I have a post on this topic. If you'd like to read more on it, I'll link it in the show notes. This is important, friend. Your eternal destiny, internal destiny is not something to take lightly. What I'm not saying here is that you just go out and look for trouble or make trouble. We talked a little bit about this last session on our Blessed Are the Peacemakers. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are suffering for unrighteousness. If your suffering is the consequence of your own sinful choices or poor choices, this isn't what Jesus is talking about. If it's because you're contentious and stirring up trouble and causing fights and quarrels, this isn't what Jesus is talking about. 1 Peter 4, 15-16 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The persecution that is rewarded and blessed is persecution that is for the sake of righteousness. And righteousness is the character or quality of being right or just. It was formerly spelled right-wiseness, which clearly expresses the meaning. It's used to denote an attribute of God, thinking here Romans 3, 5, the context of which shows that the unrighteousness, that the righteousness of God, I'm sorry, so let me start that again, the context of which shows that the unright, that the right, I'm doing it again, that the righteousness of God means essentially the same as his faithfulness or truthfulness and that which is consistent with his own nature and promises. So righteousness means integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So those in the kingdom, they do what God requires. And we're not talking perfectly here. We get that. But this is the forward direction of their lives and the desire of their lives. They live as God wants them to. And to God's children, 
What is the glorious benefit even amid persecution? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does this sound familiar? Because it's how our first beatitude ended. So Matthew 5, 3 stated, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're working through the Beatitudes here on the podcast because I, friend, I desire to be the kind of woman the Lord wants me to be. And I desire you that are listening in to be the kind of woman the Lord wants you to be. And the fact that you're listening in now tells me that that most likely is your desire if you're here with me. So as we've been looking at the characteristic and lifestyle of those that are in the kingdom, I want us to see that Jesus not only has been telling us what we should be, but as Sinclair Ferguson states, Jesus is describing what the power of God's kingdom makes us. So I'm going to share a little longer quote from him. It was, it was good. So as always, it's going to be in the show notes. So just, just listen, take it in. You can go back and reread it on your own time if you want to. So he starts, Jesus assumes that his people will show these hallmarks, but because they are so contrary to our natural dispositions, he wants to stress that this is really, this really is the way to blessing. It is not the rich the happy, the forceful, the merciless, who are truly blessed. It is the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they see their lack of it. These alone know God's blessing, and as a result, his many beatitudes, he continues. So it is important that we should think further about the blessing that Jesus promises to us. When we look at the blessings, we discover the reason it is appropriate to consider them together. They belong together as parts of a whole. Just as all the marks of the kingdom's presence must be seen in our lives, so the blessings of the Beatitudes belong together. Jesus makes this plain by beginning and ending the Beatitudes with the same promised blessing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verses 4 through 9 there in Matthew, this chief blessing is further explained and illustrated in a series of six specific blessings. Comfort, inheriting the earth, being filled, receiving mercy, seeing God, and being called sons of God. It's in, the, in its simplest terms, Jesus' teaching means this, he continues. His disciples have already, here and now, entered into the kingdom. Yes, it is still to be consummated. Yes, it is still to be revealed in its final glory. Yes, we will still wait for one the, for the day when the loud voices will say, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's from Revelation eleven fifteen. Nevertheless, all the blessings that are expected in that kingdom in the future are already being experienced by Christ's people now, end quote. I want to work through just a couple of verses here to give you, to, to get that point just really in your head so you grasp that, that, that his last line, all the blessings that are expected in that kingdom in the future are already being experienced by Christ's people now. So, so Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus when he tells them that they are citizens of Ephesus and they belong to King Jesus. So in Ephesians 1.1, It states, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints 
who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then Paul tells them in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul tells the believers they've been rescued from this present evil age in Galatians 1.4, where it states, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And it's talking about Jesus there, according to the will of our God and Father. And Paul tells the Corinthian believers they are brought into the life of the age to come. In 1 Corinthians 10.11, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So Paul is reminding the believers that they already share in the powers of the kingdom of heaven here and now and in the age to come. And they are blessed with every spiritual blessing now in the heavenly places and to come. So we're going to move on to verse 11 in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about revile and persecute and insult. And it reads, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. All right, we normally don't think of being reviled or persecuted and spoken falsely of as a blessing. That wouldn't be my first thought that comes to my mind when that happens to me. So this verse is a bit of a paradox to the world's way of thinking. But to those of us in Christ, we have to remember this. We know God is in control and we know he works all things out for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose, our Romans 5.8. Even Romans 8, 28, I'm sorry, even persecution. So Jesus shifts his wording here in this verse to the second person plural. So basically he's saying, you who are listening and reading, you will be persecuted, but you are blessed. So our word revile is also translated sometimes as insult, and it means to assail with abusive words, so to slander someone, to verbally abuse them, or speak disparagingly of a person in a manner that's not justified. So think here things like heap insults, demean someone, or mock them. And persecuted, as we talked earlier, it means to pursue or follow or press hard after. And the Greek here, it speaks of an intensity of effort leading to pursue with earnestness and diligence in order to lay hold of and oppress or harass the, quote, blessed one. One commentator described this this here to think of it as the picture of this word as ferocious hunting dogs after a poor little red fox. And then we have utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Okay, that's pretty much as it states there. So it's really just harmful or hurtful untruths. It's to lie or to speak deceitfully about another person. Martin Lloyd-Jones emphasizes why citizens of the kingdom of heaven are persecuted. He writing, he says that it is because he is fundamentally different and the non-Christian recognizes this. The Christian is not just like everybody else with a slight difference. He is essentially different. He has a different nature and he is a different man, end quote there. Hey, James Montgomery Boyce, he ended his section on this verse with some thoughts I really, really appreciated. And it put it into a good perspective for me and clearly, and I think you will too. So I'm going to read through this for you. So take a listen here. He stated, this brings us to the end of our exposition of this eighth and last beatitude. We should add a word now for those who are not and who never will be great martyrs for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm just interacting here because this probably speaks for most of us. And this is why I wanted to read through this with you. And it was just his, he worded it perfectly. So he said, that includes most of us. What about us? Well, we may be certain that God sees the little martyrs as well as the great ones, and that he is as pleased as sometimes more pleased with the small sacrifices and small insults patiently borne for his sake as he is with far more spectacular persecutions. It may take more grace, and it may be a greater victory for a man to spend 40 years of his life at the same desk, in the same office, watching other men being promoted over him because he will not do some of the things that are demanded of officers in his company than it would take for John Hoos to be burned at the stake for his testimony. And it may be more of a victory for a housewife to stay at home, raising her family and the things of the Lord, while her nitpicking neighbors laugh at her for being humdrum and unglamorous than it would be for, than it would be for a Joan of Arc to die at ruin." We may all take comfort in this and turn to Christ for the victory. If we have not known persecution, even in little ways, let us search our hearts before him and let us ask for that righteousness of character that will either repel men or draw them to our blessed Savior, end quote there. So our reminder here in these moments is that we are suffering for Jesus's sake. We are suffering for righteousness sake. Susan Heck stated on this passage, she said, this is because we belong to God, because we are his children. It is a privilege to suffer for our Lord and to identify with him in this way. This is a reality we need to grasp as believers. We follow a crucified savior. We're going to experience fiery trials and we need to have the attitude of the apostles in Acts 5.41. I'm going to read it again here. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Their suffering resulted in growth in the church. All right, we may not see the result of our suffering for the name of Jesus on this earth, but we can rejoice in and through it, knowing that ours is the kingdom of heaven. And that moves us into verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So rejoice and be glad. Hmm, how can we be glad about persecution? We know it's not impossible to rejoice in persecution because we do have the examples of the apostles before us, as we just read in Acts 5.41. And listen here to Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So what has been granted? Our privilege to suffer. Let's look at the two instances where the word for is in our verse in Matthew 5, 12 there. So I'm going to look at them in reverse order. So the first one is, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in Christ, we're on the right side of history. We find ourselves in the same camp here as the prophets. We too are God's servants. One commentator said, we are one of them, and he's referring to the prophets here, or at least one with them. The world won't give us any accolades for following Christ, but we do have the approval from the only one who matters. So, friend, when we when we stand, we stand with the great saints of the past who were persecuted for the sake of Christ. We are numbered with God's prophets, and we are approved by God. And then let's look at the next four here. He says, for your reward is great in heaven. And note, it's a great reward, not a little reward in heaven. 
This is God here stating that something is truly great and not us talking about how great a favorite TV show is or how great a favorite restaurant is, but God and what God calls great is truly great. We don't have the details of what the reward is or what exactly will be given, but we know great rewards will be given out of the Lord's infinite storehouse of treasure. This is not an earned reward. Jesus said in Luke 17, 10, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. One commentator gave an example that was a help to me in understanding it. He referred it to more like what we would call a bonus or a gift that's over and above one's pay that the giver is under no obligation to give. So it might be like um, me asking you to help me move, and when we had removed that last stick of furniture, handing you the keys and saying, here, my former house is yours. I would not be paying you. I would be rewarding you with a great reward for faithful service. So our God, he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Also note, the reward here is in heaven. We might like to see it now, but the promise is in eternity, in heaven. We may not see the reward, or we may not see the punishment for those who are wicked in this world on this side of eternity. But as it says in Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Romans 8.25 reminds us, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So friend, we follow Christ, and we live righteously, and we may be slandered and mocked and persecuted. Our God is in heaven with his reward and being in Christ as we work through these beatitudes, we are promised comfort and satisfaction and mercy and sonship and the earth and God himself who we shall see. What do we do in the meantime? We live like Moses. Let me read you Hebrews eleven twenty-five and 26. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And 2 Corinthians 4.17 is a good reminder. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the reproach of Christ is greater riches and honor and glory than life's passing pleasures. And we are to be like Moses and look to the reward. R. Kent Hughes stated on this, What then will it be like for such saints, the first 30 seconds in heaven, the first half hour, the first day, the first 10,000 years? Certainly Christians persecuted for the sake of righteousness are as sails to a ship or wings to a bird and the voyage through life and on to heaven, end quote there. So we have just finished out our eighth beatitude. And this is our ninth session in the series so far. We have a ways to go. And I'm thankful for your patience with me. I know I'm taking this slow, but I'm looking forward to working through the rest of Matthew chapters five through seven with you little by little as we take it. So, but how do we respond from here? I want to leave us with something as we're closing these Beatitudes. I just want to share some some quick reminders or refreshers before we move on next month to Matthew 5.13. And we'll be working through there, you are the salt of the earth. 
So, so far, we've seen in our time together how Jesus is focusing on the heart. God is is concerned with our internal spiritual condition. Christianity is not moralism. God wants our hearts. It starts with recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy before the Lord. Remember, poor in spirit. And we find ourselves crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. So, Even though we're just beginning this time together in the Sermon on the Mount, these eight Beatitudes we worked through so far, they are possessed by every true child of God to those who have been born again, and they build on one another. So our first four Beatitudes we worked through are fleshed out in the last four we went to. So if we look, if we take both sides or we say, as we're poor in spirit, it causes us to be merciful. As we mourn over our sin, it will lead us to be pure in heart. When there's meekness in our lives, it's going to cause us to be peacemakers. And as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it will lead us to being persecuted for righteousness sake. And if we take or just remember really one thought from our time so far, may it be from the words of our Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that I've stated almost every time, that these are characteristics of those in the kingdom. God doesn't want disciples, friend, whose obedience is only external. God wants obedience, and that's a good thing. So he is looking for disciples of the heart, and these and only these are truly blessed by him. So if as we've worked through these Beatitudes together, and they don't describe you, I pray that you will examine your heart to see if you are truly in the faith and that you would come to repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it is only ours through Jesus. So my dear friend, my reminder always is Jesus is enough. I'm so grateful for your time today and to work through this series with you. If it's been a blessing to you, I would so appreciate if you leave one of those lovely five-star ratings and reviews wherever you listen into the podcast. It's such a blessing to me and it helps others to find it. Always, you can find the full show notes at my home on the web at thankfulhomemaker.com. And my resource today to share is a new product I have in my little online shop of courses and printables, and it's a homemaking binder. It's a PDF packet, so this binder packet, it goes really well with my homemaking encouragement that I share here on the podcast and blog. So I'm very slow at adding to my little store. It takes me quite a bit to design printables and get them in my shop, but I do want to provide you, friend, with good, practical, helpful and really extremely affordable resources to help you in the care and upkeep of your home. So I'll link to the shop in the show notes. You can take a peek if you're interested, but if you go to my website and you click right at the top, it says shop, you click on that button and it'll show you the, um, it'll take you right to where you need to get. So my friend, I'm so grateful for you today and I pray that you have a very blessed week. Mm -hmm.